0: If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Mm. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512.24. at participate in McDonald's. Must opt into rewards.
1: Now
2: it's time for Inside Conan,
1: an
3: important
1: Hollywood podcast. Da 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 theme. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Welcome to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast.
2: Yes, we're your hosts. I'm Jesse Gaskell, and this is the beautiful Mike Sweeney.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. No one said that since sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> a girl in sixth grade said I was beautiful, oh, and I, really? I remembered. I said, "This is the beginning of, uh, it's going to be a great run for me," and that was it. It was. Like oh, one, <laughs>
2: yeah. you peaked.
1: I I remember it clearly. Hello, how are you? Hello,
2: we. I am. I'm fine. Good. Yeah, we're, I mean, I was going to explain what the show is, but honestly, people know at this point, I think.
1: Yeah, or there's a description before you click on it. No one's
2: listening to this by accident. It's inside Conan. How many different Conans are there?
1: The only accident is us hosting it every week. (laughs) No one else is here. We just fire up the equipment.
2: (laughs) Guess we'll accidentally meet up again this week. (laughs) No, I'm good. I've been doing some fun holiday stuff. I've been getting into the...
1: Holiday spirit.
2: ...spirit a little. Like what? This weekend, we went and saw a screening of Home Alone at the... Walt Disney Concert Hall. Really? Accompanied by the L.A. Philharmonic.
1: <laughs> Is the score to that movie that?
2: Well, it's actually John Williams composed it.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. I
2: know. I I didn't really either. And we saw that they were doing that this. That
1: <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> but it's a really good score. It's a beautiful score. Oh. We booked the tickets and it was sort of a joke, I guess. We were like, right. oh, we're going to go to Home Alone at right. this, in this beautiful venue and then... We were like, ha we spent $85 on tickets to Home Alone.
3: Uh,
2: uh, <laughs> Joke's on us. But then it was wonderful. Oh. And the orchestra was the whole orchestra was there. There was a live choir doing Wow. The the there's choir scenes in a church and
1: Oh, I thought they did the Culkin lines or something. That's <laughs> a choir.
2: <laughs> they sang them. Right. <laughs> you filthy animal.
1: So they would play
2: Under the dialogue, yeah. So it was a cut wow. that didn't have the music, but they right. played the music live and it was just very moving. And <laughs> we both cried.
1: Oh really? My boyfriend wow. and I,
2: yeah. It was really sweet.
1: Well, and that's a beautiful, Disney Hall's really- It's
2: so gorgeous. Beautiful. And we had never been, and that was part of the oh. impetus for going, was like, oh, we want to see something there. and
1: Wow. Now, was John Williams there? Because I know he conducts- at the Hollywood Bowl in the summer they do uh, like yeah. five or six Star Wars. I know. Or no, it's a tr- it's 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 all of his movie music.
2: Yeah. So so probably Home Alone is in there.
1: Probably, yeah.
2: I don't think he was there, okay. although I don't really right. know what he looks like, so he might have been. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's playing the kazoo.
1: Right, right.
2: It was really nice and it's all decorated for That's great. the holidays right now and it That's just felt nice. very fancy and festive.
1: I heard the one drawback was they accidentally played the remake of Home Alone. So...
2: The one with Carrot Top.
1: That's right. It didn't quite sync up. That's great. You know, I went to one of those once and I was a little skeptical, but it was for 2001.
3: Oh,
2: cool. A Space
1: Odyssey at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. You know, but so much of that is music without dialogue. So uh, that movie really lends itself to that. Yes. I don't know if other cities do anything like that. I, I never heard of such a thing until I came to Los Angeles. It's
2: sort of unique. I mean, because it's it's an LA thing. Everything revolves around movies here, but right. it's nice to find a way to incorporate Yeah. You know, it's sort of highbrow and lowbrow together. Right. Together. Also, um Yeah. <laughs> I made a I made an observation. So uh, Kieran Culkin is in Home Alone. Okay. He plays a little brother
1: Oh, he d- he does?
2: He does. Yeah.
1: Can you tell I've never seen that movie?
2: I I'm starting to f- <laughs> figure that
1: out. Yes, so go ahead. He's he's in the movie. So he's in brother. the
2: movie and there's a shot where they they imply that he's going to wet the bed that night and he oh. looks at the camera very slyly and I swear they recreated that exact shot in Succession. When he sends his dad the, the dick, dick pic. Yes. And there's that shot across the ah. conference table at a very specific angle. And he's in the same spot that he's in in Home Alone. And now my theory is that somebody did that on purpose.
1: Did you Google that? Because
2: I didn't. I didn't Google it because I just want to believe.
1: And now I'm wondering if bedwetters tend to be uh, dick pickers.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It Maybe t- this more... is
2: actually the same character all grown up.
1: Right, exactly. There's a lot I of like continuity. The continuity. Mm-hmm. Very nice.
2: What are you up to, Sweens?
1: Oh, I I'm living vicariously through you. <laughs> I learned a few weeks ago, like you know what? Whatever Jesse's doing, that's good for me, and I'll just. <laughs> and now, when I we're done here, I'll tell people I saw Home Alone at Disney <laughs> Hall. It was unbelievable. Of course, John Williams wrote the score. You fucking war on. <laughs>
2: Well, next week, we're getting a UTI. Uh Yes. I
1: decided. It's my first. (laughs) I don't want to brag, but I've been very pristine (laughs) up till now. So that's terrific. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do the same course of medication with you. <laughs> I'm sure it's a 10-day program. <laughs> I feel like maybe we should probably introduce our guest today.
2: I would love to.
1: Uh, let's do it.
2: Yeah. This week we're speaking with the hilarious Arden Marine. Mm-hmm. She's an actress, right. comedian, extraordinaire, and yes. an author as well.
1: Yes. Wow. She's very inspiring to talk to. And uh, she started out way back in college as an intern on Late Night with Conan O'Brien.
2: That's right. She is in the former intern-turned-celebrity club. Right. So here's Arden Marine. We're here with Arden Marine, actress, comedian, improviser, sketch Comedy maven
1: Memoirist is that how you pronounce it? Memoirist. <laughs>
2: extraordinaire
1: mm-hmm.
2: Podcast host Yes and podcast guest yes.
1: You are I it used to be the triple threat you're I don't know what the uh, the word is for is 12, <laughs> 12 ways.
2: Dodecahedron. <laughs> yes yes thank you.
1: Write a book while dancing. She's incredible. (laughs) That's
4: that's what I did. I actually wrote the whole book while dancing. I got my steps in while Mm -hmm. I got my word count in, people. Mm -hmm. Leave it on the field, America.
2: (laughs) But Arden, one thing, I don't know if people know this about you. Maybe everybody knows this, but you are one of the many celebrities who got their start as an intern on Late Night with Conan O'Brien.
4: That is correct. I was an intern Year one, like semester two, you know, because I was in college. So there was, I believe, like a fall semester of interns. And then I was – so I was about like four – I don't know what month it launched, but I started in January – 1993, is that accurate? Is that a 94. lie? 94. 94. But that was I, right
2: after the show started. Yeah, Right
4: after the show started. It was right when it was getting renewed like four episodes at a time. Right. <laughs> That's
1: when they and, said, we need Arden in
4: here. <laughs> let's get Arden. But it was really fun. And I'm still friends with some of the people that I met while working
2: there. That's crazy. Oh. I don't have friends For that
3: long.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You do you have I barely have friends from Conan and we just wrapped in
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh That's not true. You're very, very popular.
4: (laughs) You're very
2: popular. Very
1: very popular. popular. Jesse, you're very
4: people love Jesse. Everybody loves Jesse.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I didn't say it was their choice. I maybe (laughs) was the one who distanced myself. Yes. Um, how did you even know to apply there? What the show was brand new? Were you just like, I'm gonna send my resume everywhere? I'm gonna fax my resume. <laughs> and I'm gonna fax. fax.
4: I'm gonna like carrier pigeon my resume. You know, I was at a college that I hated. I was it was the wrong school for that me. Helps. And yeah, I couldn't afford to transfer out of there. Like I'd gotten into other like I got into like NYU, I got into yeah. UMichigan, Michigan, but they wouldn't accept my credits. Like so I could transfer, but I would have had to pay for like another year of school. School.
1: I'm just curious why you hated that school.
4: You know, it was not the school's fault. It was really the operator. It was my fault. Uh-huh. I didn't I didn't look at it. I went to Colorado College. It's a very nice school.
1: Yeah.
4: I didn't look at it. My best friend looked at it. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> how just, you
1: do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're like, just sign me up for whatever you're doing. It's fine.
4: <laughs> I just followed her there. And so she went and like had the best weekend, like uh-huh. hot guys on bicycles. Brought her to Garden of the Gods. Like it's actually a very good school. It's academically right. a good school, right. but I am not a professional rock climber. <laughs> you know, it's just not the <laughs> school for me. <laughs> so thankfully, they had like an arts program in Chicago. So right before here, I did six months in Chicago at Improv Olympic, where I was there. I was like Sharna's intern, and the home team was. Adam McKay and Neil Flynn and Matt Besser and oh, wow. Horatio and, like, Rachel Dratch. Wow. Anyway, it was, like, this amazing group of people that was right before they went to Second City. And Del- I got to take classes from Del Close and— uh I had to have a fake ID to perform there because I was only 19. Oh, because oh, it was a bar. And it was yeah, in a bar. Yeah. It, was at the, it was at the Wrigley side in Wrigleyville. So that was sort of the opening of – I mean, I always knew I wanted to do comedy. I was from this tiny town in Rhode Island. I had no connections. And that was the beginning of being around the, – the gift of me not fitting in at my school was that I and, – and not being able to afford to transfer – I sort of got scrappy. I actually think the path was how it was supposed to go down. And so uh-huh. I went to Chicago. I met all these amazing people. And then I didn't want to go back to school. <laughs> and I figured out, because I was a theater major. And you were that like, I, I don't
2: need a degree to work in comedy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's actually a hindrance.
4: <laughs> no, true story. And so I applied to Letterman. I applied to Conan. And I feel like there was like two other places. Letterman never got back. Basically Conan was the place that got back to me. And I <laughs> nothing against the other interns, but like the first batch. We're not that on it. <laughs> it was like the dregs of the only person who was, there was two people that were on it. It was Brad Walsh and Jeff Audio, who all like ended up like working there, I think. Or, yeah, or
1: Brad, Jeff did, I Maybe Brad Walsh. I don't remember that. Brad
4: became like an pr- executive producer or a producer on Modern Family.
1: Okay. So he's a
4: writer. So like- Those were the two that were on it. The rest of the batch were so terrible that the three of us, they gave responsibilities. So it was sort of a gift, again, to sort of – because it was brand new and these other interns were not on it and and (laughs) Letterman didn't call me back. Right, I was – the assistant to the script supervisor Brenda Ventura, who uh-huh. was like, who went on to become um, De Niro's assistant, <laughs> and right. she was like, she was like, what's your name again, Aden? What the fuck kind of name is that? Look at you with your long blonde head and your big fucking boobs. And then
2: I think I see why De Niro liked her. <laughs>
3: yeah, but
4: she was great. We ended up becoming like best friends. I loved her. I got to go be down on the floor during rehearsal because she was doing like Robert Smigel's script. Like Robert would hand write out his scripts, and she Robert would sort
1: Smigel of, was originally head writer on the show.
4: Yeah, she had to like keep track of his changes and then I got to sit with her in the control room during uh-huh. the taping. So it was so interesting to on a variety of ways to learn what each person did on a TV show. Like growing up in a town with a general store like I did I knew I wanted to do this but it was Good to know. I I knew what each department did because I'd have to go deliver the scripts and watch everybody. Right. And then it was also interesting to see a show getting launched and a show finding its feet and watching the show get off the ground, which I was always a huge fan of. And it was it was really interesting to watch, like be there for that moment in time. Right. Because I just thought Conan was so funny, you know, and I thought and Robert was so brilliant. And yeah. You know, like I remember, like in the year two thousand, like right. the, watching all these sketches and watching this stuff, and then feeling—I remember—it felt like there was, like Craig Kilborn was circling the building in a jetpack, and like <laughs> John Stewart was circling the building in a jetpack. Of like,
1: there were a was, lot of rumors. The
2: vultures, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it was just interesting, like and how cool knowing that Conan, like. Like, just knowing how the story ends, that, like, he thrived and became, like, you know, an icon. And it was interesting to watch this and— I really had a great time. But
2: also good to be just an intern at that time and be like, I'm 20, so it doesn't really matter to me what happens.
4: No. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, I had no skin in the game. I made $12.50 a week.
1: (laughs) But did you also feel a loyalty to this new show? Oh,
4: for sure. Absolutely. Like, Like,
1: identify with it?
4: Oh, my God. Absolutely. I mean, look, I'm a quirky gal, and like, Conan (laughs) kind of reminds me of my brother, and like, Absolutely, you know, I I grew up looking like Barb from Stranger Things. <laughs> you know, like, like, I felt like I I'm a, a natural redhead who looks like Barb from Stranger Things. Until I was like 16 years old, and like uh, from New England, and and right. like here's this guy, like he reminded me of my brother's friends.
2: And so you weren't intimidated. You were like, I'm just gonna dive right in. And what was your intern personality? Were you were you like I'm you know I'm gonna hustle. I want to be. Plucky and have moxie and and show up for stuff, or were you kind of just taking it all in?
1: Quietly observing. And
2: Yeah. Like- I would say I would be plucky and moxie,
4: but I think because I just come from in Chicago, I knew that you also couldn't be super thirsty, you know what I mean? So, like, right. I just tried to—it was really overwhelming at first because— I, mean, I was basically like an unpaid PA. So, Like right. the first day, they were like, "Here's a list of like a hundred people. You have to write their names on the scripts, and you have to deliver it to each of the." And like you know, I didn't know who any of the people were. It was in Thirty Rock. There was bowels of the building. Like when the mm-hmm. I would have to go. Like when the when the copiers broke, there was like secret elevator. It felt very mm-hmm. like being John Malkovich. There's all these weird bowels of like the windowless parts of Thirty Rock. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was a combo of. Were you guys ever waiters? Did you ever mm-hmm. waiter? Like,
2: well, actually, no. I never made it to waiter. Just hostess.
4: So, like, the if you ever waitered, like, that, when you're brand new in that first day and you just feel like an idiot and you don't know where everything is, you don't know what table, like, you just feel like such an idiot. Like, so I would say in the very beginning, it was more just, like, sink or swim. So just, like, do a good job. Be on time. Try to get everybody the right thing. And then as I sort of got the lay of the land and Brenda and I became pals— you know, it was really fun. And I, I think I had personality and was definitely plucky, but also knew it wasn't my show. I knew I was an intern. And I felt like people were sort of inclusive of me because I, I wasn't a threat. I like I was just sort of, you know, doing a good job and could get mm-hmm. if you gave me a task, I could get it done. And I was pleasant.
1: Wow, that's very valuable. That's not always the case. That's rare.
4: I know. And I I think that's why you stood out. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, truly, like, I was one of the ones that could get it done. And So then they would then Mm -hmm. start requesting me at night to do, like, the food delivery to the writer's room. And and then I was just like, look, I'm not going to – I can't work, like – 15 hours a day. Like, after the show is done, I can't also be the night intern.
1: Right.
4: (laughs) It's one or the other. I
1: like that you drew the line.
4: Yeah, I just felt felt like it was, like, let one of the other ones figure out how
2: to get, like, Kung Pao chicken
4: for the writers. You know what I mean?
2: (laughs) Right. How late were the writers staying at that time? I
1: mean, was it—
4: I only did it a couple of times because it was just too—like, I was just never not there. So
1: I just was like, I can't. I can't do this, too. That's a smart move. When I started there, it was 95— the tradition was the interns would eat with the writers. So we'd all oh, sit in nice. the conference room and eat.
4: We didn't have that.
1: <laughs> that lasted around a year until one night an intern, a new brand new intern just sat down and goes to the head writer. He goes, so uh, let me ask you, how much do you make doing this job?
4: No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't.
1: And he just kind of deflected the question. And, but every, everyone's head jerked up and, <laughs> The next day, I think a memo went out, uh, interns will no longer be dining with the writers. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it.
4: Dude, can you imagine? I (laughs) knew enough, I think, from being around, like, the house team at Olympic and stuff, I knew enough to just be cool. Like, even if you're terrified— just present low-key. Present not super thirsty. Like wow. know that if you're there for a certain period – I was there five days a week all day until until like the evening. Mm-hmm. So just present like you can hang. Accomplish your task mm-hmm. and you've got a decent person. And like that's it. Just be uh, affable.
1: That is great advice. Oh, my advice. God.
2: This this is the only career advice anybody ever yes. needs to hear. <laughs> I mean, truly.
1: Don't act thirsty is... <laughs>
2: oh, God.
1: ...rule number one.
2: Well, I'll tell
4: you because then there was a new intern that came in like halfway through my tenure. So I think I was there like six months. So about three months in, there was a new intern that came in from Rutgers uh,
3: uh,
4: who was hmm. the thirstiest person I have ever met. My, like who could clear a room who was like... Car- <laughs> it was right when the book, I think Late Wars came out Like that book, the Leno, the Letterman, Mm, right? The war for late night. She came in like with the book, and like was so thirsty, and she's like, (laughs) like, like, like (laughs) that. Just and so she got assigned to the desk. She was going to be like the number two script supervisor intern. Anywhere I went, she was right behind me, and she could clear a room faster. (laughs) And was like, "So, like, Dino, did you know that?" I'm like, "Oh my!" Like, just be cool, girl. Just like, yeah, just leave them alone. If they're in the middle of something, like, just get out of the room. Like, don't hang to. Like, just read the room. Read the number one. Read the room. When in doubt, Mm -hmm. go back to your chair. Like, until they give you another assignment. Like, do you know what I mean? Just yes. read the room.
1: Those interns. Dude. They, man, they cut through, <laughs> like, everyone knows their name within 24 hours. Because they just work that quickly at-
2: It's too much. Everyone
1: just going, oh, my God, where did this person come from?
2: Yeah, people start taking other routes to avoid them. <laughs> Honestly, if
4: you're going to be an intern in any any career- It's a marathon, not a sprint. So, like, the cooler you can be in the beginning, just know you'll have, like, just ease into the pool. Ease and do not do a cannonball in. Just, like, Mm -hmm. slow your roll. Don't be late. And then, like, you'll have your moments to ask questions about how people got their start or how you might get in the writer's room or how, like, whatever your dream is, just pace it out and like earn the right to ask the question and just observe, mm-hmm. just pay attention, just see how, see what people do for a living.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You're basically getting the opportunity to be a fly on the wall. Yes. Without any consequences of people being mad that you're not doing enough. Yes. Because I always think it's, yes, You're what, what you're saying is exactly right. And y- you always risk doing too much too soon. Yeah. But no one's going to remember if you were just not present. Like no one remembers the absence of somebody. So yeah. It's fine to be chill. Yeah, I'm gonna ask um, about the page versus internship because yes. I, NBC had a page program. Yeah. they
4: were like neckerchiefs. They have, I think, you yeah. still have it. And blazers, right? I believe at the time they were like maroon blazers and like a neckerchief, almost like a flight attendant, like a
1: or a scout
4: <laughs> <laughs> or a scout, <laughs> exactly. a character heel, yeah, a ca- exact. It's that's exactly what it is,
2: <laughs> like a nylon and a character yeah. heel. <laughs> <laughs> and did you guys interact? Did, did the interns interact with the pages? Was there some kind of rivalry? Yes.
4: There was a cute page named Jen. And then I remember Jason Nash was a page. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, Jason was the page at SNL. And then we would like, I remember, I'm really bad at smoking pot. I get really high for days and I'm That's like paranoid. That's on you. <laughs> And I remember one of the last times I got high was at Jason Nash's house. I got at like there was like a page party, and I went and I got so high that I like was terrified to get a cab to go home.
1: <laughs> you were there for two weeks.
4: <laughs> I might still be there, you guys. I'm not sure. I'm still there.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places.
2: Do you have any favorite memories from working in 30 Rock? I mean, it seems like that was such a magical place for people to work.
4: I remember, like, it would be exciting when once in a while they would let me go, like, greet the band and stuff downstairs. Like, Uh it was when Max was still there. Like, there was, you know, there was times Drew Barrymore and I are around the same age. And I, like, loved her. And I had the same little haircut with the curls. And I remember waiting downstairs, like... To, like, greet the band, but it was also, like, the time that she was doing, like, SNL and getting to, like, see her in the lobby, like, was so exciting. And then I remember befriending, like, some—I knew some people that worked at SNL and getting to go to um, the—some of the parties, but then getting to go to the finale party on the ice rink. Right. Like— Was so, I just couldn't believe. Yeah. You know, because that was always my dream. I couldn't believe that I was there. I mean, I I truly grew up in a town with no stoplights and a general store, and our coffee shop is like in a barn and an apple orchard. So to be like in Gilda Radner and like Molly Shannon, and then to be at the ice rink and like there's Molly, and it was just. Like, I couldn't believe I was there. I could not. I remember also when Letterman came to do Conan was exciting. There was like a big, it was like a big thing.
1: That was Uh, a big thing. Cause. Yeah. Yeah. It it was kind of like him giving his stamp of approval to this fledgling show and and the, the, the guy who replaced him. So. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was that like?
4: I remember it was like really sort of tense that day and. People – it was, like, sort of high security tickets were, like, very specific about who could be in the audience. And, Uh like, everybody was sort of excited but on edge. Like, it was, like – everything was amped up. And I remember it went really well and, like, people were really excited about it. But there was a lot of – anti. like, I remember even just the rumor that, like, Letterman is going to be here, whatever, like, February 27th. Like, there was a lot of – that it was a coup to get it. It was exciting.
1: It was kind of like a countdown to his – Like, he was booked a a while in advance, so it was kind of a countdown to Like, the king
4: is coming, everybody. Right, right, right. The townspeople prepare. And it was also, like, again, it was right around when he didn't get the Tonight Show. Like, there was something about, like, he's anointing Conan. Like, Mm it was, it was, it was, I remember that was cool and that it went well. And the whole thing was, like, kind of a magical time. Like, just even getting to be in the, getting to be in 30 Rock, like, the first time being on that sound stage and seeing the audience and how cold it was. And like you always heard people, the guests comment like on Letterman when I would watch it growing up, like they would all talk about how, like being in that little refrigerator room and
1: how cold they'd keep the studio.
4: Yeah. How cold they keep the studio
1: supposedly for all the equipment, but also I think like it's good to keep the audience chilled Yeah, For so comedy for sure.
4: <laughs> Absolutely. No cold is funny for yeah. sure. Sure. Um, You know, even just like when the bands would come in and I thought Robert Smigel was so wonderful and funny and just Mm -hmm. watching the characters that they would do and watching these things come to life and getting to sit in the control, like just the being in the building was, it really felt like I was Dorothy and I was starting to like crack getting into Oz. And it was like, I couldn't believe I was there.
2: Were you working on your own comedy at that time too? I mean, you were at, 30 Rock all day, but did you have a chance to do comedy at night?
4: I didn't really. And then I remember at the end, they offered me a PA position, and I was aware that I... I just mostly was jealous of the guests after getting to know what everybody did. I was like, I, and so I you didn't. Like, the only
2: job I want here is the one that shows up right before yeah. and leaves immediately after.
4: I was aware that unless I was like the writer's assistant, which I wouldn't have been, you know, that I, so I, I, I finished school and then I immediately. Like, I was waitressing, and then I got an internship. The, the casting director from Conan, Mikey Halbrin, helped me get an internship with another casting director. And then I started doing stand-up at night, and then that's how
2: I got my agent. So it was very smart of you to turn down the PA job, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> well,
4: then, yeah, so I started doing stand-up, and it was, like, 80 miles, and it was Zach Galifianakis. Like, mm-hmm. everybody, we were all starting out at the same time at Stand-Up New York and, like, the Boston Comedy Club. And um, um. so that was, like, the next year. Like, I, I—, I I just was like, I have to bet on myself and just go do this. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you know right away, I'm just going to move right to New York City or were you yeah. also thinking Chicago? Okay.
4: I always loved New York City. My my right. family had, like I grew up in Rhode Island, but my family was from New York. My mother's only requirement, my brother and I, she was like, you don't need to go to a fancy school. You don't need to get the best grades. But both of my children need to live in New York City for two years. And then after that, I don't really care what you do. Oh, so, I, I love, I love
1: that. that was a requirement.
4: Literally, it was her only requirement. And I was happy to oblige. And sure. so it was always New York. Yeah, I couldn't wait to move to New York.
1: That's so wow. So you start out at the UCB as well in New York?
4: It didn't exist there it yet. It didn't exist yet. It didn't exist. I wish it had. I would have been delighted to. Right. And a lot of like the sort of alternative comedy didn't exist yet either. Right. So it was, that's why it was like more like clubs. It was like, right. there was Luna Lounge down on the Lower East Side, but right. it was uh, beyond that, it was mostly stand up New York. Boston comedy. There was one in Soho, and then, and then I lucked out and like booked a sitcom immediately. <laughs> which <What? was> like...
2: <laughs> that's how it works,
3: kids. And that's how you do you it. You just stand up
2: for a few weeks, and then you get the sitcom. I know. <laughs> that's
4: it. That's it. And I was also like, again, like looking back, like if only the ascension could have been that steady. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it's been for the last 20 years. Right, right. No problems. It's just been effortless. <laughs> just that. You just do it. You just book job after job forever. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was, I mean, truly, I feel like like when you're the new kid, like, I mean, look, I know it's very, very hard to book the first. I think it's like, it's interesting once you've, there, then there's another round of new kids and then you're like, it's having to be like. Then you have to really dig deep. It's like, all right, what do you got? Like, because you're not the new kid anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so so now what? Like, what are you going to do? Well,
2: it's funny because you're describing being at Conan and thinking, oh, I, you know, I, I want to be a guest on the show. I'm going to book a sitcom. And then you just did it. I was a guest. I came back. I was a guest. Yeah, and you became I became a guest. guest. <laughs> <laughs> they played the Welcome Back Cotter theme song.
3: Uh, <laughs> and it was,
2: only, it was only a few years after your internship, which is probably the fastest Intern. Yeah, it to was like two years. I think it was pipeline. two years. Yeah, <laughs>
4: that was a fast turnaround. I know I was like twenty-two.
1: I love your career goal. The reason to get on a sitcom was just so you could be a guest on.
4: <laughs> I just want to see how comfortable
2: the couch
1: is. Right, right, right.
4: By the way, it was so exciting. It was so fun. My whole yeah. family came. Yeah, it was great. Oh my god.
1: That must have been surreal in a in a way.
4: It was very weird. Yeah. It was very weird, and then I got to do it again when I was on. Um, Mad TV, and I remember it was like a big deal because Lauren produces SNL, so no but right. no Mad TV cast member had ever been a guest. Oh, oh there was a blockade. There was a blockade, and oh so I God. got to go do it. And then I remember some of the Mad TV cast members were like mad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hence the name of the show. <laughs> that's what they're everyone's angry about.
4: They knew that's why everyone's so mad on that <laughs> you TV. You found the, the yeah. found
2: the loophole.
4: I found the loophole. Man,
1: you are savvy right from the get-go. I need to get this internship. <laughs>
4: yeah. So when I'm exactly. on that TV,
1: I can still go on the I
4: show. I can still go on the show, it's yep. Just as I planned. <laughs> just as I planned.
1: I heard a funny detail uh, that you were in a f- movie and paired with someone else who was also an intern on the Conan yes. show. oh no
4: way. I believe it was his first job. I played. Like, it
2: seemed like it was his first no. job. No, <laughs>
4: well then he became like literally I I remember I think he had just graduated from Brown. I played John Krasinski's wife in Kinsey, and we played the most, like, sexually broken couple in America that were so (laughs) broken that that was when Kinsey knew he had to help. Had to help. He he Mm, had to do a sex study because we were so... Sexually lost. That mm. like that. We were the f- the straw that brought the camel's. <laughs> How did you
2: access that character?
4: <laughs> it was yeah. so hard for me. Oh my <laughs> god! Um, well, yeah, you grew it, up in
1: such a small town.
4: I grew up in such a small. No sex day. up there. Oh my god! Are you kidding me? It, it was illegal. It yeah. was. It's actually still illegal. You can <laughs> wear corduroy. You can wear chapstick, and uh, you can do a nice firm handshake with a very handsome woman. You can go apple
2: picking. <laughs> you can no clear sex. brush.
4: With, you can clear brush with your hands. You can drink brown <laughs> liquor. You can have a cow, and uh, and then you can just live
2: and let live, and push it down, down, down. <laughs> that's an, that's enough sex for some people.
1: Oh yeah, just having a cow. It's a lifetime's worth.
2: For sure.
4: Absolutely. What year? So you started in 95, Mike. When did you start, Jesse? Uh,
2: Oh, I didn't start until 2013. What? I know. Crazy.
1: It was me and then Jesse. No one was hired in between. (laughs) (laughs) A slight gap.
4: I remember like Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer did like a – like a three week stint fresh out of Harvard. Yeah.
2: And then went on to Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember
4: yeah. Bob Odenkirk was a staff member, but he didn't live there. He like lived in LA and he flew in once. I think he was there once while I was Right. <laughs> he worked out some
1: crazy deal with them where like, uh, you know, if I'm in town, I'll drop by I'll drop oh, by wow. thirty rock.
4: I think he was a staff member. I think he was there for one week while I worked there. Uh huh. And and then it was Dino Dino Stamatopoulos. Sure. And Marsh McCall, right, and uh,
1: Michael Gordon,
4: Michael Gordon, so sweet, so and sweet. oh, Dave Reynolds, Dave Reynolds,
1: Dave Reynolds, who
4: wrote Finding Nemo, yeah, and then Louis C.K. of course,
2: and then and then Robert, yeah, you've been very effusive about Robert Smigel's comedy. Was that, was he influential for you? I mean, were you like...
4: I just found he was really nice to me, and I just thought, I thought he was nice, and I thought he was like a mad genius. Like, he just Mm -hmm. seemed... I think it was also because I got to be there during rehearsals, so it was fun watching them kind of— Yeah, that part of the— I'm fascinated by how people make any kind of— I love making things. And so it was was interesting to watch, like, the bread get made. You know what I mean? Like, to see—to watch them make changes, to see them work it out. And, like, sometimes the script would literally be delivered on a napkin. You know, like, he would just write it out on a napkin. I think it was because I got to be there— in real time, watching the changes and watching them sort of figure it out and watching he and Conan or he and Conan and Andy or whoever mm-hmm. was in the sketch kind of finesse something that was fun.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I think Robert's great at really focusing on trying to make something as good as it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's keep... It's not quite there yet.
2: Yeah. It can be like three minutes to show time and right, he's
1: right. like
4: completely unaware. He drove my boss crazy cuz she was responsible for getting in the computer but she also adored right. him so she didn't really care but she right. was like she's like I'm going to fucking kill him you know but like uh. but she but she was so fond of him that like he could kind of get away with it with right, her. But right. but she was responsible for transcribing this crazy handwriting. Right. And like trying to get that all the departments needed in right. order to call the like or the even just the director to call the show, like just to fall like to have a script.
1: It's such a critical part, the script yeah. of, of the show. And yeah, you'd go in and rehearse. Yeah. All these changes would be made. And then yes. all the you're exactly what you described, all these departments are standing by and they're kind of yeah. like you can verbally say oh you know what we're getting rid of yeah, <laughs> that puppet or or we're adding some a new puppet or this or that right uh, but until they get the, the actual script and see the changes especially you mentioned the director the director has is just dead in the water till they get the new script and all of this is happening like 3.30 and the audience is coming in in a half an hour. Yeah. And you have to, mm-hmm. a lot of times we'd have to hold the audience out in the hallway just to run through a quick rehearsal. Or sometimes the audience would be in and we had to rehearse again. So yeah. we'd rehearse it in the control room.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes.
1: And I think it's something you just get used to. But the first few times, it's just terrifying because you don't think... You're just like, how's this all going to get done? But it always, it would always get done uh, at one level or another, and there'd be a show. So
4: I loved also the band. I loved the band so much. Like they were so nice and yes, so talented. And you know, they were just Jimmy Vivino. Like they were just. It was just like those guys were really lovely.
1: Yeah, they were all great, and they're all yeah, they're they're still all. Total sweethearts.
4: Yeah. And so talented, you know.
1: <laughs> Except for Pender. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Like, it was definitely, everyone was nice to me, you know. Like, it was. Because mm-hmm. you weren't annoying. Because I wasn't annoying. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm a nice, fun person, and I and <laughs> I have a New England work ethic. <laughs> yeah. So, so, like that, you know, and I, I, I was reliable.
2: Do you feel like I mean was this your first experience with sketch comedy and then going on to Mad TV? Where was there overlap there for you?
4: I had written sketches and then written plays that I directed and stuff through high school. So, but as far as like, you know, it was interesting doing Mad TV because I did book a sitcom. Like I didn't go up through the groundlings and I didn't UCB didn't exist. Right. So like I, I because I lucked out so quickly. Like I didn't. Go through the training grounds that I probably would have. Like, I would have done Second City or Groundlings, or if UCB existed, I would have done those. I actually ended up going back and doing Improv Olympic again. And then doing, even when I was on Mad TV, I went back, like in the summers off, I would go do the writer's lab at Groundlings yeah. because I tested for. SNL against Amy Poehler, and then Mad TV that year offered it to me, and they were like, "We
2: can't hire
4: two perky, two women, <laughs> two blonde women." Excuse me, gross. Both
1: from New England.
4: Yeah, no we way. couldn't. Po- we couldn't possibly have two women. <laughs> so um, Not at the same time, and so I actually after that went back and like. All of the characters that I had done, like, I just wrote them in my living room and submitted a tape. Like, I was aware that my—I was actually panicking when I tested that I was going to get the job because I knew I hadn't come up through Second City. I knew I hadn't done—like, none of them had been tested in public. I literally wrote them in my living room, made a tape, and got flown to New York. Wow. And and I I knew I didn't have the chops of the hours of—I knew I didn't— have the toolbox. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, that feeling of it, it's its sometimes a curse to get an opportunity before you're ready for it.
4: Well, so Mad T V offered me the job that year because I tested oh, there yeah. too, and I said no. Oh, wow. Because I think there was some internal strife happening at Mad T V at the time, and I was just like, I just knew life was too short. I was like, I don't think I... I knew I didn't have the goods, and I just knew I didn't have it in me to put myself in that environment. So then a few years passed, and in the in-between, I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody, but I literally went... Because when I did all the classes in Chicago, I got to do them all at once. So I did beginning, intermediate, and advanced all at once. So I never learned them in or my secret was like <laughs> I never <laughs> learned my letters, then my words, then my like I didn't actually know how to properly. I felt like a fraud. Right. And so I I went and I just started. I didn't tell anybody that I'd been offered that TV. <laughs> and I just started at level 1 and I just I went through all the classes. I learned how to do it, and then I went and did it. Like, and then I got the job, and then I, I again, and, and then, then you went, go
2: back to Mad TV, and you were. Yeah. like, Now I'm ready. Uh, yeah. Every year
4: they would call. Every. <laughs> every year they would call and say no, and then I, when I was ready, I was like, okay. Then I tested again. Oh wow. I got it, and then on the summers I would go do, the writing labs at Groundlings because I'd never done like sketch writing, but I also think that's a very. <sighs> I don't want to say – for me, like, there was a – there was a book that came out after Lean In, like, after Sheryl Sandberg's book mm-hmm. came out. And there was this woman is was like, okay, you're saying Lean In, but, like, why – what's – whole? sometimes it's easier said than done. And this woman who was, like, a researcher at Stanford wrote this book that was basically, like, a lot of times she'll see women coming out – and men coming out – guys are just like, I'm going to go for it. And if I fail, I'm going to go for it again. And the women right. are like, well, I'm going to train and I'm going to go – like – they feel like they. It's the imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. Yes. I wish that I had the balls to just be like, fuck it, girl. You booked the job. You got flown in here for SNL. They gave you this one. They gave like, you the right. job. like, yeah. just fucking go do it. <laughs> well. Just go do it. Like, I wish I had known there was no reason to delay and that it's okay to figure it out as you go. Like, I had the goods enough to get the job. Like, you'll fucking figure right, it out. Right. Because that's why right. people are
2: doing those improv schools anyway, is to get those
4: jobs. And that's- any guy would have done it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. any guy would have done it. It's like, looking back, it's like, oh, ardent. Like, I wish I'd had enough confidence. Like, yeah. it's enough. It's enough. No more class. Like, you got it. You it just just go do – you wrote those – you wrote those characters. Nobody else wrote those characters. Just go right. do, do those characters and write another sketch yeah. of those you characters. You were waiting until
2: you had the PhD, basically. Right, it right. was, I regret
4: – anybody out there listening with self-doubt just mm. and I think the world has changed with YouTube and the internet and TikTok and right, like right. just do it just start doing it mm-hmm. and just do it and do it and do it and like there's no there there you're fine just keep doing it
2: <laughs> like just do it uh, you're fine it's <laughs> such good advice
1: when you said no <laughs>
2: yeah was, was again was your agent
1: I said no. <laughs> like did you have an agent and manager and the, did they argue with you and go what, what oh, are you talking question. about question
2: yeah like Arden come on I said
4: no and then I went and fired my manager.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) How dare you get me the job?
4: I'll tell you why I fired him. (laughs) No, I'll tell you. He he did deserve to be fired. I got myself the job because you know what? He didn't do shit. You know what he did? When I went to test for SNL, in the elevator... As I'm going to test, first of all, he didn't tell me it was going to be on camera. I didn't know. He didn't tell me any. I didn't know what was going to be at the monologue spot, like full screen test. Uh, like I didn't know. He didn't tell me any of that. And on the way there, the morning I was testing. It's best not to know. He told me, hey, break a leg, kiddo. They already offered it to Amy, but the money might not work out. He told me that right before I tested. Oh,
3: my God. oh boy. And that's why I fired him.
4: I, f- I was like, dude. I didn't need to know that. Well, then why would they have paid to fly me here if it wasn't right. an option? Right. Like, so I didn't need to know that. Yeah. Right. What, why am I here then? It, right. Like, if, if there's no job, like, I've booked jobs actually afterwards. They told me the plan was we were going to hire this other person and then we liked you. So we, you know, like, I have gotten jobs that I've been told that I wasn't the initial pick for. And so to me, I didn't need some dude telling me that they didn't want me right before I tested. So I fired yeah. him.
2: Well, you had at least had enough self-confidence to do that. That was an act of self-love. Hell yes. (laughs) Hell yes. And you, I mean, as an artist, because you you have really done so many different mediums. I mean, you wrote a memoir. It just came out in paperback.
4: Oh, amazing. Yay.
1: Paperback release.
4: If people were like, oh, the hardcover is uh, too so heavy. heavy. <laughs> so heavy. This is like malleable. You can bend it. Put it in a tote bag. You yeah. can throw it in a cute tote. It's a cute mm-hmm. book.
1: You can rip it into thirds and parcel it out that way.
4: Oh, my God. Whatever you need to do with that book, go for it. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, how did it how was it writing a book? I mean, as somebody who loves collaborating that you've described, was it? Hard to dive into doing something. Oh, doing a book is a journey.
4: I mean, it's it's like, it's like so exciting. You're like, yay, I sold a book. Like, oh, fuck, I gotta write a whole book.
2: (laughs) So much writing.
4: Because I am definitely like a sprinter, not a marathon gal. That's a
2: lot of words.
4: And it's also like a big thing to organize the structure. Yeah. It's unlike anything I've ever done. And it was. I say this now because it's done and, like, I'm proud of it. (laughs) But, like, the process is hard. I mean, it's – no writing a whole book is – it's definitely between you and your own – your head's own worst fears about yourself. Like, it's – Right. So, to me, again, I'm all about tricking my inner critic. So, that's why, like, when I get an audition, I do 15 times. So, like, in the beginning for me with this, it was like – You wrote 15 books. I wrote 15 books. And then I was like, okay, this is my favorite book. (laughs) I was like, okay – Start with a word count. Start with a word count. And I did not start at page one. I started with like start with the shittiest chapter that's right. there's really no pressure on. Just start with like the smallest, lowest stakes chapter. Mm. That's like a like chapter eleven or chapter fourteen. Kind of like right. filler chapter. <laughs> start with a filler chapter. Filler like sneak into the yeah. dorm <laughs> windows. And so I would have to do uh, I would set a timer over have you heard of the Pomodoro technique? <laughs> yes, I have. I've
1: heard of Pomodoro, the pasta sauce.
4: The tomato. It's a tomato. pasta? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody told me about it. There's like a PDF that it feels like it was made in like 1972, but it's online. It's like a three-page PDF. But basically, they figured out like these researchers figured out that people get things done best in 25 minute increments and then not an hour not 15 minutes is 25 minutes ah. and that so the guy had a timer that looked like a tomato so he called it the pomodoro technique and okay. you need to be able to see your timer
1: this sounds very scientific
4: <laughs> but i've get so add so basically <laughs> you turn off your internet you turn off your phone you can't go get snacks for 25 minutes your ass is in the seat doing whatever it is your little task i'm tasking. already
1: out <laughs> You lost me at no internet. (laughs)
4: And then, so and then I sna-
1: no snack. <laughs> but then
4: you can get your snacks at your five minute breaks. Right. You can snack and tack it out. And so I would commit. I would start with one a day, and then just try to get like. So I would commit to like, okay, I'm going to try to do like a thousand words today. Like, mm-hmm.
1: I've heard that bang yeah. out a thousand words. Yeah, just bang
4: out a thousand. So I started. Don't with, judge it. Don't reread it. Right. I started with just the page count, mm-hmm. and then and then once like it was, I had to do between sixty and eighty thousand words, and I ended up doing seventy three thousand, which shocked me. Wow. Once I hit the word count, then I, like, printed it all out. I sort of rearranged some of the pages, and then I did chapter by chapter cleanup. That's when the real writing began of, like, it's the equivalent Mm -hmm. of I've done my 15 times of my audition. This was like, okay, I— I went to Michael's Crafts. I bought the felt and the glitter and the glue. Right, and now, right. now I've got all the fucking material. Ready
2: to make the float.
4: And now let's just like clean it up like one chapter at a time. And then I have a writing partner that I do scripts with. Uh-huh. Once I had it sort of cleaned up, I would like hire him, let him read it. And then we would read it out loud and like go through and like clean it up together. And that's how I did
1: it. Reading it out loud's a good trick too,
4: dude. It's it's. I mean, it's brutal
2: though. It's
1: hard and it's, it's hard. It's, it's brutal,
2: like, <laughs> dude.
1: Yeah, it sounds brutal, but it, it was it's, brutal. But you have. It sounds like it, you have you've got to force yourself. Yeah,
2: a real trust relationship with yeah. your yeah. partner. Yeah.
1: Can I ask you one thing else about a memoir? Which I you can ask me I'd anything. Curious about how do you deal with the feelings of all the live people are still alive who you're That was about.
4: hard. Mm. I was really nervous. I mean, look, I'm such a people pleaser. And right. this is a lot about the name. It's called Little Miss Little Compton. And I'm from a town of 3,000 people called Little Compton. And uh-huh. I'm like, <laughs> and it's about my family, you know? Right. And so yeah. I was really scared. And I had a friend who, like my fanciest friend who's, who's, like, like my fanciest writer friend, my friend Tom Diggs, who was nominated for a Pulitzer play, like, prize for uh-huh. play. And he he just told me, that he was like, Arden, be brave in your writing. Just, like, just try—write the book that you're too afraid to write. Mm-hmm. And then in the rewrite, check your motives. Like, why is it in there? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Like, is it—do you have to put it in? Is it something you need to ask permission for? And then, like— also remember it is your story and you're allowed to tell your story and some people may not like it mm-hmm. and you're an adult. There was a few people I asked permission for things. I asked my brother who in advance if he like was wanted to read it. He said no. And, um,
1: and you said, are you sure? <laughs> would, you, would you sign this paper, please?
4: <laughs> yes. and then, But I was terrified. I mean, I had sleepless sure. nights about that with the yeah. town. And mm-hmm. I had a few friends who'd had memoirs come out. I mean, that really was a terrifying thing for me. And yeah. my friend said it was more the people that I'm not super tight with, you know, that were like funny people in the town, like the people that were big (laughs) characters, I asked permission about most of the stuff. Sure. The people in the town, my friend said, she was like, Arden, she's like, no one was mad when I did mine. And this was, it was Sarah Kelowna and Jen Kirkman both said to me, mm-hmm. people uh. are so excited to be seen. Everyone wants to be seen and remembered. They want to be, they want to matter. They want to be remembered and they want to like, they are so proud. She's like, I had a guy that I wrote so terribly about and he was like, oh my God, I'm in a book. Like, she's like, people <laughs> she are so- a fucking
1: sc- asshole.
4: Yeah. So basically she was like, people are like so self-centered that they, they just are so excited and proud that it's almost like if people you tell people that you do comedy, I'm sure you right. have this. Or people are like, you could take this, you can use this. It's like, yes. I, trust oh, yeah. me, I'm never gonna take this. Like, yeah. I've never, <laughs> but like, I was like, you can steal this. You should, like, people want to be documented. And yeah. so I, I found, at least to my face, nobody was upset. I, and I was shocked. That's
1: all that matters.
4: Cause if you read it, like, and then my brother, he's so nervous. He was like, everyone's gonna be so pissed. Like, everyone's gonna be. So, And like nobody said anything. You said we
2: don't have a stoplight, and we do technically (laughs) have a stoplight.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So that was.
2: It was interesting. Yeah, that's really stressful.
4: But I was like, I would encourage like the only like nothing good is done out of fear, right? You know what I'm saying? Like particularly with comedy, like you can't make something really fun and great if you're also terrified. You just can't. So like. What would you write if you weren't afraid of what people were going to say? And then I thought it was good for the personal stuff of check your motives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was certain stuff, you know, like my dad was a tricky, a salty dog, and like
3: mm-hmm. as
4: I, as a uh, many female, bad dads make entertaining daughters, sure. and so it was also like giving the gist and not the war stories. You know what I mean? And I I remember one of there was a reporter who read it who was so mad at me. He was like, your father, you really should have... I was like, like, the guy's dead. Like, why should... That's not what this book is. This is not Angela's Ashes. Like, I do not need to, like...
1: (laughs) Settle scores.
4: Oh, the reporter was
2: mad that you didn't
4: go far enough. He wanted me to really stick it to my dad. Mm. And it was like... Sounds like he's
2: got daddy issues.
3: Yeah.
4: (laughs) I just felt like... You know, it's your story and also know what the book is. Like, this isn't that book. I think giving enough of a peek behind the curtain of, like, the gist of it. Like, you get the idea, but this is my right. story. This isn't his story. And, like, right. you get the idea. And, like, then it becomes a completely different book. And right. it was You wanted inter- it
2: to pass the Bechtel test.
4: Yes. <laughs> Not make it all about him. <laughs> and it was interesting, though, like, doing press for it, how— that's only a small part of the book, but how some people only wanted to talk about him. Mm. And it's like that was even with just like a little sprinkling of him. Right. You're like, like, like that sort of was like, really, that's the only thing you want to talk about <laughs> is my bad dad. Trust me, it's not unique. Like, not yeah. it's Typical
3: not a unique situation. <laughs> uh. He's
2: worried his children will write about him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> True story. Well, Arden, we have to wrap up with you, but um before we go, just are there any other personal favorite Conan memories that you have? Well, we we didn't Really get into this, but you talked in your interview when you came back to Conan the first time about having seen him naked.
4: Oh my god, I forgot about that. I did. <laughs> I I didn't see him fully naked. Did I see him fully or you naked? Said he, or you,
3: you said in his changing, underwear. I guess that's yeah.
4: right. I saw him in his. I think he was in like tidy whiteies. <laughs> that tracks.
1: That that does track.
4: I think he was in tidy whiteies. Yeah. That's right. I had to go deliver something. I forgot, and I opened the door.
1: Boxer shorts.
4: And I think he, no, he had on, like, t- I think he had, like, on, like, tidy. Ways. Oh,
1: boy.
3: <laughs> and Yay. he was in
4: there. And I, like, was, like, oh. And then I, like, you know, like, crept, crept <laughs> backwards out. I was, like, oh, my God. It was a, yeah, a very tall, pale gentleman in tight, like, briefs. Uh, like, and I'm, like, oh, my God. <laughs> that just <laughs> happened. That just happened.
1: He's so pale, you're, like. Yeah. I think those are underpants.
4: (laughs) I got to tell him, maybe he's nude. He might have been naked, yeah. He might have been nude and just like fashioned like a Ken doll. Just like a smooth, like a There's no fissure in the back. (laughs) Smooth like a pear. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, yeah. I mean, it was so long ago. My brain, I do remember always every night somebody's job was to put out, Lauren's like like Simon Pierce Pilsner glasses, popcorn and Amstel lights. Oh, with I his, heard about with that. With his they had to put like there was like a monitor and right. his backstage, and his, backstage mm-hmm. and his chair. And it had to be freshly popped popcorn, Simon Pierce Pilsner glasses, and uh, Amstel lights, and uh, he never, it was like waiting for Godot. Oh, he,
1: he, never, he never showed up. He never
4: out. came. He never came. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can we have the popcorn now? He's not showing.
4: Because I think that he could probably watch it on like the- On closed, the feed, yeah. Yeah, he could just watch it on the feed in his office. Sure. Like he was at mm. SNL doing his other show. Yeah. Like, So I'm sure he was just watching, Why? Watch, but it had to be set up every night. And I remember one person accidentally like <gasps> sitting in it. Like you just couldn't- It
1: was like roped off area.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right in the back. Yeah, I do remember that. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that those are, I mean, again, my brain, That those.
2: No, you've told us so much. And honestly, thank you so much. I feel like you've really demystified a lot of your creative processes, which is so useful mm-hmm. and it's something oh. we love talking to creative people about.
1: Yeah. Thanks. And, and so much of it, it applies to so many different projects you've worked on.
2: Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is really like, The
4: sweat equity in the beginning, like just like the stuff that nobody wants to do, like the unsexy stuff so that then you can get to the magic of like just build the foundation so then you can go play. And like nobody wants to do it. And if you have to trick Mm -hmm. your brain, you have to, I have to pay my friend. I can't do it on my own learning the lines. Like I have to set the timer. I will look online like like, I'll just keep going for hours. So it's ways to trick my own. Right. Like, inner critic or my own ADD to like Mm -hmm. just like the only way through is through. But like, the payoff is done is better than great. Just complete (laughs) it. Right. Just complete it. Just done is better than great. There are no shortcuts. No, there's no shortcuts. It's just roll up your sleeves and just get it over with badly, but it's just a matter of, like, just sweat equity of putting it in so that then you get to go do whatever trash thing you want to do. You know, I get to go watch Below Deck or, like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Whatever your your garbage is, like, yeah, I get to go watch The Bachelor. Like, that, that to me, just, like, just just go do your homework so then you can go play.
2: Well, but it's also, it's nice to hear, I mean, I I always appreciate when people are honest about the amount of work that things take because I think we have this... There's a myth about the artistic genius that just sort of shows up, and it's like it's just coming through me, like from a yeah, from right. a higher power. Yeah, but that's that's not no. real, and-, and
1: and a lot of people want to believe that so they can mm-hmm. beat themselves up some more. Like, oh, they just have these. Magical yeah. abilities, you know. Right.
4: Well, it's also even being realistic. Like, I have a friend who's a former model who literally cannot not be a series regular. Like, she'll go and she could do comedy. <laughs> so she'll go to she a guest spot, no. and every single time, they're like, she does one episode, and they're like, they made her. A- that's not my experience. Like, right. that's- <laughs> so like I have to do the fifteen. 15- like, I have to go steal every job. Like, mm-hmm. I know I can put in the time to like at least be, if I'm going to stand a chance, if it's even actually an available job and not, they already offered it to so-and-so, but they're working out the money. right <laughs> like
2: Polar's already got the job, but you're going to steal it. Yeah.
4: If there's actually an available job, like I know I can't control certain factors about who I am or the package I come in or right. whatever, or what my voice sounds like or how mm. old I am or what I look like. So, but I can control my preparation and i can control like what i bring to it and then after that it's out of my hands and like and you have to let it go it's not personal mm-hmm. like have i have a well balanced life and like figure if you need to figure out other streams of income so you're not demanding your art like you know like so that you can have joy with stuff so like just like in the beginning i think people think that they can't have a b job like mm-hmm. right. don't don't do it so you have to go Get the job, or your rent's not going to get paid. Like it's okay. There's no, there's no shame in having like a side hustle if you have to.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Also, great advice, and then and that makes you less thirsty in the moment as well. Which, (laughs) yeah,
4: all of it. Like whatever you can do to eliminate the thirst, so you can Mm -hmm. go and be present and like, like, like just go do, uh, be present, do a good job, bring some joy to it, and be prepared and be on time.
2: Don't be chaos. (laughs) This is so much great advice. Thank yeah. you Thanks. so much, Arden. You're a delight. Ugh.
1: it was a pleasure.
2: Can't wait to see what else you go off and do next. Oh, yes. my God, Jesse. Mike, what a delight. Well, <laughs> no, people can great. get my book,
4: Little Miss Little Compton, now in paperback. And then I host a very silly iHeartRadio podcast about the Bachelor franchise with comedians called... Uh, will you accept this rose? And yes. then,
1: and that's a job you're gonna have the rest of your life because that show will never, it will never
4: end. Oh my God. Never go off the <laughs> I end. used to, I used to get like four month hiatuses, like, yeah, and yeah. now it's they're just islands, and they're doing yeah. a second bachelorette, and then they right. did the music one, and then right. they're gonna mm-hmm. do a. So it was more like a seasonal thing for me, and now it's just never ending, which is fun. <laughs> but you're just yeah. doing
1: all, You're covering all of them. Yeah. Wow.
4: I mean, iHeart pays me to do it. Sure. And it's fun, but it's like, it used to be like January through August. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a large part of my life. <laughs> yeah. but It's, it's, it's a little
2: me, be it's, careful it's, what you wish for go.
4: <laughs> but it's fun. It's actually it's strange how many friends it's brought me. Like I, cool. And it's the weirdest, like, it's like. Through this, I've become friends with Doug Benson. Like mm-hmm. who oh. knew? Who wa- Like the weirdos that watch. Like Jim right. Jeffrey. Jim Jeffries is coming to my garage on oh, Wednesday. Right. Like when well, you're like, making it okay for people
2: to come out as
4: bachelors.
3: Oh, exactly. True.
4: Scott Ackerman is like a huge.
3: <laughs> uh-huh. You know, Carl
4: Carl Tart is like in my garage. Like it's yeah. like all these strange. Barack storming. Obama. Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, thank you so much, Arden. Thank you. Thanks, have a Arden. nice day.
4: Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.
2: Thank you, Arden, for joining us. By the time this airs, she probably will have a new book out. Yeah. So we'll have to update that. No
1: thanks to us. <laughs> we've only slowed her down.
2: Hey, we've got a listener question.
1: Yeah, here it is. Hey, that's how it starts. That's not me. <laughs> that's not it me. It could have been
2: you though. It sounds like you. Hey.
1: Can you tell us about the origin of the end of the show song? It's the part that's never on TV. Thanks, mm. Ben Ratner. Thank you, Ben, for that question.
2: It's a good question. That's somebody who has obviously been to a live taping.
1: Right, at the end of every taping. Uh, I don't know when Conan started doing it, like the late 90s or something, He, uh, when the show was over, the band would play the end theme. And towards the end of that, once the stage manager would say, hey, we're all clear, he would sing a song he ad-libbed once called the end of the show song.
2: He ad-libbed it the first time, but then every other time.
1: Well, I hope he ad-libbed it because there's not a lot to (laughs) it. It's just like, it's the end of the show song. The The part part that's that's never never on on TV. TV. I'm just wasting the studio audience's time now. Everybody wants to, to go home. home
2: and get drunk.
1: Yeah. And-, and then he just go. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> something like that.
1: I'm sure I haven't done it justice, but that's it. <laughs> the origin of it was just him, I guess, he had lived it one night, the crowd loved it. And so then he was like, okay, that's how I'm gonna... And you know what? Conan's kind of a creature of habit, especially yeah. around... The show Like he likes certain Little ceremonial things Right Before the show Routine Yeah Yeah things, things to kind of Put his mind at ease
2: Well speaking of Ceremonial things Yeah That he often did At one point Cause Well obviously the string dance I would put into that category
1: Right At that the started, top of the show Right That became a nightly event
2: And then at one point During the TBS show He started inviting An audience member To come up and then, yeah. for some reason, somebody, I think, rubbed his nipple. All
1: right.
2: I think it was a guy.
1: Or I thought he just started.
2: Or maybe he started rubbing his own nipple.
1: He would do the string dance.
2: Yes. And then
1: <laughs> he felt like the string dance wasn't enough.
2: Uh-huh. So he kept adding things to it.
1: Yeah. So he'd pull his jacket open and, like, wet his oh, index finger. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wet the f-
2: index finger and then put out the fire on the nipple that's exactly. what it was exactly mm-hmm. yes cuz it was sizzling
1: and then he started having audience members and
2: come then up. an audience member would come up and also rub the nipple right and yes. people knew what to do it was like yeah they just without any it's almost instinctual i think
1: yeah and you know it's unusual to have your incident of sexual harassment on <laughs> video like that where
2: Night after night, you
1: yeah. can bring it right to an attorney's office. <laughs> I did a, a ad parody for a lawyers' office. Oh, right, for people <laughs> who had been forced to touch Conan's nipple, yes, too.
2: <laughs> and suffered mesothelioma right. as a result.
1: After that, they were so traumatized they couldn't ring doorbells, like all the things <laughs> they they couldn't do anymore. But
2: yeah, without and being I was like,
1: "Triggered." I'm gonna do this sad parody, and that'll. He'll stop doing it after he sees this,
2: <laughs> no, but just got the it put the word out so more audience members knew what to do,
1: yeah, yeah it didn't it didn't change anything, yeah, oh, you know, getting back to the end of this show song, I saw a clip of it once, and i, I it's not on like Team Coco, but it's out there on the internet. I think it was from the Tonight show, but the great thing about it is it is uh you see Conan singing it to the audience, and they're standing. At attention, trying to get recognized by the audience in the Mm. foreground, is Jordan Shlansky. Oh. (laughs) It's a great rare sighting of him.
2: Oh, perfect. In action. We end up talking about Jordan a lot. I feel like we're trying to lure him back on the show. Have
1: we been talking? When else have we talked about him?
2: Oh, We we talked about him another week. Oh, when we talked about Cortona. Oh, right,
1: right, right. I felt that was more a discussion of the city of Cortona. That's true. Well, I don't know if we could get him. But uh,
2: <laughs> I don't know either.
1: You know, if people want us to talk to Jordan, I'm sure we could make that happen. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Sounds like a threat.
1: I think we should, if <laughs> we're going to do it, we should do it in Cortona.
2: Oh, yeah. Don't
1: you think? I mean, we can ask.
2: I agree. I
1: assume Team Coco would be willing to pay. They
2: must have that in the budget. right?
1: And I think listeners would know, <laughs> oh, wow, they're really in Cortona. It's really making a difference. Yes. For this audio experience.
2: So if you're listening to this and you're a fan please demand that team Coco fly us to cortona
1: right with or without jordan <laughs> yeah. that's optional jordan
2: can still be here right. but we need to be in cortona
1: or even just one of us and we'll we'll pull straws and see who gets to go <laughs> well thank you for that que- thank you for that obscure question
2: uh, but we do need more questions and in fact we are running low on voicemails. (laughs) So don't be shy.
1: Yeah, we want to play voicemails just to mix it up.
2: Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. We like hearing your voices. It makes us feel like you're real humans.
1: And the number is 323-209-5303. So please don't be shy. Give us a call.
2: And I'll still give you the email. It's insideconanpod at gmail.com. Right. And you know, you can also rate the show
1: 20 stars Uh
2: uh-huh
1: and as always our theme is by john williams (laughs) i don't think a lot of people know that
2: that's right one of his lesser hits Mm -hmm. please leave us a review and tell us how to get out of this episode (laughs) we like you inside conan an important hollywood podcast is hosted by mike sweeney and me jesse gaskell
1: produced by sean doherty our production coordinator is Lisa Byrne.
2: Executive produced by Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco.
1: Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton.
2: Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis.
1: Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials.
2: You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts.
1: And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best.
0: It's the Conan Show.
3: Put on your hat, it's the Conan Show. Try on some spats, you're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf, it's Conan! This has been a Team Coco production.
0: Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places?